This is the Crosspoint Sermon Audio from Carrollton, Texas. A drunk driver runs through a stoplight, plowing into a car. Instantly, the driver is killed. The girlfriend in the passenger seat, protected by a seat belt and an airbag, is, survives with some scrapes and pains, but it's generally okay. The person in the back seat was not wearing their seatbelt. They were thrown from the car, and now they lie in a hospital bed, clinging to life. Family surrounds them, crying and praying. Down the hall, another family is celebrating the birth of their new child. It's a joyous occasion as this tiny bundle of joy is welcomed into the world. And for the moment, there's a sense of happiness and of love. It's only down the line that the child's disabilities will be discovered. By that time, it's too late. The pain of dealing with mounting medical costs and the inconvenience of a daily struggle of the handicap tears the family apart. Ultimately, the child grows into an adult and with a broken family as the background, the deep marks of being bullied as a child for being different still stinging. They have to go forth into the world continue to struggle and scrape just to survive. Elsewhere in the hospital, a young girl, so excited to be able to finally see her grandmother after a recent stroke. It's a touching moment as the girl runs into the room full of enthusiasm, love, and joy. She hurriedly moves to the bedside to get a hug from grandma, only to discover the shallow shell of a woman that she once knew, a woman who doesn't even recognize her own grandchild and who lashes out at the parents for allowing this child to run in that way. But the scenes of heartache, pain, and suffering don't take place in just the hospital room. Elsewhere in the same building, a young nurse is being sexually harassed by her superiors, and she has no idea what to do about it. In another corner, a young man is stealing medical supplies to sell just to make ends meet. And moving outside, we see the bum on the sidewalk. Who knows how long he's been there? But for as long as anyone can remember, he stood there holding that same sign, wearing that same coat, pleading that same question. Can you spare some change? In the suburbs, a young man has had enough of dealing with the bullies in his school and is deciding this is the day he's going to do something about it. A young wife comes home in the middle of the day to set up a surprise for her husband on their second two-month anniversary, only to be surprised to find him already at home in their bedroom with his secretary. Across the state, a lightning bolt hits a tree in the forest, and it sparks a fire in the dry timber that will rage for over a week. In a high-rise apartment, a successful businessman turns on the news he sees a story about refugees from a, a country he's never heard of trying to get out from under the thumb of a raging tyrant. He hears about a, a typhoon that demolishes an island nation, killing thousands. And then there's the tale of the young Hollywood star who committed suicide. Later, he watches a documentary about a third world country where in order to get hot water, the children literally heat up a bucket of water using the exposed electrical wires from the house, endangering themselves and the entire building. 
And the question that resounds in his head and indeed in many of ours is, why does God allow all this pain and suffering? It's kind of a depressing way to start this morning's conversation, isn't it? Well, my name is David Knight. I'm community curator here. And um, we have been in the Explore God series. And when this uh, particular question came up, I decided I wanted to be the one to tackle it. Um, it was for selfish reasons, actually. I've had this question asked to me over and over and over again. Um, my mom will ask it to me often in regards to how I can believe in a good God that will allow the atrocities of this world to happen. Then another friend of mine turned from his faith after visiting a slum in Mexico and seeing children risking their lives just to heat up water, as I described in that story. See, he couldn't rationalize how a loving God would allow him to have so much and others to have so little. And I'll be honest, it's tough. I mean, in our Western world, we turn on the news and we see these images of the genocides in Rwanda or the Syrian refugees, and we wonder why. We see Haiti leveled by an earthquake or children born of a thousand different diseases and deformities. We hear about rape and abuse and all manners of painful and immoral acts. And we ask the question, what kind of sick cosmic lottery are we involved in? And for many people, this is the perfect way to rationalize any belief in a creator God. I think part of the problem, though, with answering this question, why does God allow pain and suffering, lies in the fact that quite often the question gets jumbled. Let me try to explain what I mean. When we ask this question, there's not any real sense about what we're talking about. Sometimes we're talking about the evils that we perpetuate upon each other, right? The, the ways we abuse each other or steal from each other or, or whatever it might be. And then other times we're, we're talking about the unfortunate natural effects in this world, things like hurricanes, typhoons, earthquakes, right? And we can't really figure out, okay, which question are we trying to ask, answer here? And you have to attack it from two different fronts. Add to that the fact that, as Lee Strobel points out, there are two people who generally raise this question. He says, the first kind of person is one that is presently going through pain and suffering. And he says, when someone is raising this issue with me, and I know that they are coming from that perspective, I know that they really don't want the long intellectual answer about why God allows pain and suffering. He said, when you're in the midst of suffering, you're looking for someone to be Jesus to you. You're looking for someone to love you and help take care of you and, and reach out to you. He says, it's important for us to understand that when people raise this issue, it's not always because of an intellectual curiosity, and we need to be sensitive to that. And he says, there are other people who bring up this question because it's a legitimate intellectual question to ask. And his great response to it is, I don't know. We don't have a complete answer. He says, in 1 Corinthians, it says that on this side of heaven, we sort of see things dimly. We don't understand everything. We're not God. And I think, quite honestly, sometimes those people who are asking that question from that perspective, there's no answer that's really going to give them any peace about why a hurricane levels a nation or, or why their child was born with cancer. Right? There's no real answer that's going to give them peace about that. And so often it's just even a smokescreen for a, diff a different, deeper question. And then, of course, we can't really pinpoint what suffering is. Suffering is perspectival, right? 
What's suffering to you may not be suffering to me, right? If I drop a dollar on the ground and I, I lose it, right, it's not really going to make me suffer. But somebody in a third world country who loses a, an American dollar, that's a huge amount of money. They're going to suffer. What about food, right? How much food is enough? For some people, they've got an abundance of food, and they suffer if the right kind of food isn't there. For other people, they have hardly anything, and they suffer when that's not there. Diseases, you know, you hear people talk about struggling with a disease, the suffering that goes on with that, and, and sure there is. But then you also hear people talk about how going through that disease strengthened them, how going through that disease made them realize they were stronger than they thought they were. Or maybe it's just the girl in high school who's distressed because her, her, her outfit isn't uh, on fleek. Right? Right? Maybe that's pain and suffering. And then, of course, we don't talk about the good things that come out of struggle. We've got a lot of artists here, a lot of musicians. How many great songs have been written because somebody went through pain and suffering? Right? So we can't really even describe what suffering is. And so, very often, we try to come up with these simple theological answers. And sometimes it takes the form of like that opening video we saw, right? Uh, where, where somehow the answer has something to do with uh, free will and love and robots. <laughs> or if we take things a little deeper, maybe, and, and I love poetry, I love, I love beauty and, and mystery, and uh, Ravi Zacharias has this great way of, of phrasing his answer to this question. He says, where there is freedom, there is the possibility of love. Where there is love, there is the possibility of pain. Where there is pain, there's the possibility of a savior. Where there's a savior, there's a possibility of redemption. And where there is redemption, there's the possibility of restoration. Now, that answer speaks to me, especially coming from, from this context where we talk about God's whole story, right? We talk about creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's all right there, creation, fall, redemption. That speaks to me. I love that. But it's still not a complete answer. And as Jen Hatmaker would say, it's woefully incomplete. She says this, the point is, there is no formula for suffering. There is no one answer. There is no pat explanation. Simply stating that God is sovereign is woefully incomplete theology. As scripture has clearly identified numerous root causes of suffering, some of which are entirely incompatible with God's character. We cannot possibly explain sorrow in a 25-minute sermon with three points that all begin with the letter M. And she's right. You can't do that. That's why I chose the letter H. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but it begs the question. If we can't really answer this question, why does God allow pain and suffering? Does the question even matter? In the end, whether you believe in God or not, there is pain and suffering, right? We've all experienced it in some form or fashion. And so I think really the question becomes not why, but what now? What is our response in a world of pain and suffering? Particularly as 
people who claim to believe in God, people who claim to follow Jesus, what is the call on our lives in the midst of pain and suffering? How do we avoid, as we talked about last week, becoming functional atheists? People who really don't believe in God because we don't do what we're supposed to do. Well, let's take a brief look at how God expects us to act when we are faced with pain and suffering. I've used this passage before um, in other messages. I think it's still applicable. Most of us know about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And we know that Sodom was destroyed because it was evil. So what was it that Sodom did that was so evil that God felt the need to destroy them? Here's what it says in Ezekiel 16, 49 to 50. She and her daughters were proud because they had plenty to eat and lived in peace and quiet, but they did not take care of the poor and the underprivileged. They were proud and stubborn and did the things that I hate, so I destroyed them, as you well know. It's been said that the sin of Sodom was apathy. They chose to do nothing for the people in their midst who needed it the most. Seeing suffering, choosing to do something about it, is, as Jen Hatmaker would say, an invitation to being radically human. I kind of prefer the phrase fully human because that's what we talk about around here, but she uses the phrase radically human, and it goes like this. Suffering invites us to be radically human with one another, perhaps doing nothing more than, than reaching across the table, clasping hands together, and weeping. We are afforded the chance to create a safe place for someone else to mourn. Nothing is needed but space, proximity, presence, empathy. You cannot possibly give an answer, so don't try. Grief cannot be sidestepped. It must be endured. So may we be a people who endure with one another rather than constantly mitigating, explaining, or propping up. Let's just hold one another through the dark night and wait for the sun to arise. I think that's a beautiful explanation. It reminds me of a, a story I heard by Parker Palmer uh, that Dave talked about last week. And he's talking about how he went on Outward Bound. Do you guys know what Outward Bound is? It's a kind of a leadership thing where they go, it's, it, there's like ropes course and there's rock climbing, all this crazy stuff. And he's telling this story about how he's doing this outward bound study and he's, he's rappelling down the side of a cliff and he gets partway down the cliff and he freezes, terrified to continue on. His, he says his hands literally won't move. So he, he can't go up, he can't go down. He's just trapped there. He says, the lady at the bottom calls up to him, is everything okay? And he said in a childlike voice, as he calls it, I don't want to talk about it. She said, well, then it's time for you to learn the outward bound motto. If you can't get out of it, get into it. If you can't get out of it, get into it. With that motto giving him strength, he continued the trip down. Now, I think we have that same opportunity in front of us. We're stuck in a world of pain and suffering, right? We can't get out of it. What can we do? We can get into it. Exactly. Thank you. That one took way too long. <laughs> but it's scary, isn't it? I mean, the thought of, of, of going out and actually trying to do something to, to help alleviate the ills of the world, 
And so we think, what, what can I possibly do? What, where do I draw any strength? Well, let's turn back to the Bible. It's going to come up on the screen this time. This is 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. It says, Let us give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the merciful Father, the God from whom all help comes. He helps us when? In all our troubles. So that we are able to what? Help others who have all kinds of troubles. Using the same help that we ourselves have received from God. And just as we have a share in Christ's many sufferings, so also through Christ we share in God's great help. God is there for us. He, he wants us to do these tasks. He gives us the strength. We talk around, around here about the fact that we are agents of restoration in this world. We have a duty to go out and make things better. And so when we ask this question of why does God allow pain and suffering, I think sometimes maybe he's turning the question around on us and says, why do you allow pain and suffering? I've given you strength. Go out and use it. Now, of course, it's easy to talk about doing something about the ills of this world. It's easy to talk about, let's go get them. But I think sometimes it ends up looking a little more like this. My dad, oftentimes when we were going through rough parts of town, we were driving with me, he goes, hey, kids, are you looking at all the plight? So it brought that to my head. But that's what we do sometimes, right? We talk about it. We say, yeah, we can do this. But then when it comes down to it, we roll up our windows and keep going. I want to tell you the story of two groups, David Bayless and Ted Orland in their book, Art and Fear, tell the story of a ceramics teacher. The ceramics teacher split his class up into two groups. One group was going to be graded on the quantity of work they produced, how much they actually put out there. The other group was going to be graded on the quality of the work that they put out there, the beauty of it, how it turned out. In the end, what they found was that the group that did the quantity of work had a much higher quality of work than the one that were tasked to do quality. They concluded that while the quantity group was busy churning out piles of work and learning from their mistakes, the quality group had sat around theorizing about perfection. And in the end, they had little more to show for their efforts than grandiose theories and a pile of dead clay. Piles of dead clay. Are we willing to make the investment in a great work of art? Or are we content to sit around with grandiose theories and piles of dead clay? Do we want to just sit around talking about why this world isn't better? Or do we want to be agents of restoration and actually do something about it? So in the end, what now, right? What now? Let's do something about it. But I hear some of you out there, and you're saying, but David, you didn't really answer the question, the question that we came to talk about this morning. Why does God allow pain and suffering? I can't give you an answer that's going to satisfy all of you. 
As Dave talked about last week, even believing in God, you at some point have to decide what you want to believe. And I think the same applies here. And I think where you get the answer from comes from something I've talked about many times before here. How you see God affects the way you see everything else in life, right? How you see God affects the way you see everything else in life. Kylie and I were fortunate to meet a uh, gentleman one time after one of our shows. And he came up to us and told us um, a pretty gut-wrenching story about the murder of his three-year-old daughter. And we've kept in touch in, on Facebook over the last few years. And I posted the other day that I was thinking about pain and suffering. And he kind of typed in and said, hey, I have a few thoughts on that. And I wrote back and said, yeah, you do. And so I talked to him. And I asked him, what did he get out of it? I mean, because let's be honest. If anybody has a right to be angry at God, if anybody has a right to have a poor view of God, somebody whose three-year-old daughter was murdered kind of has that right. So when I talked to him, he told me a lot of amazing stories about how God has used this time for him. One of the things that he told me was um, particularly interesting. He talked about his other daughter, the older daughter, who um, has become the key witness in the trial that's going to take place next month, in fact. And he told me about how this daughter continues, when she goes to bed at night, to read her Bible and to pray to Jesus. Continue to, to follow after him. And I said, well, that, that's, that's pretty powerful. I said, but what, what about you? What did you get out of this? He said, I think suffering brings us closer to God. It makes you love him more and appreciate what you do have. Now, there's a man who has a good view of God, right? There's a man who understands that God is there for him. And I can't guarantee that everybody going through trials and tribulations, pain and suffering are going to be able to have that, but I think that's pretty strong. So I want to give you one last thought. Um, again, we talk around here about art a lot, right? We call ourselves the intersection of faith, arts, and community. So how do I deal with pain and suffering? What is my view of God? And, and I didn't really realize it until this week as I was preparing for this study, and I, I read this book um, by Rob Bell called Drops Like Stars. Uh, it's, first of all, it's just a beautiful book. I recommend you pick it up. It's gorgeous. Uh, the subtitle is A Few Thoughts on Creativity and Suffering. Seemed like an appropriate title. <laughs> and it helped me to think about God as an artist. 
And every artist that I hear talks about suffering to create great works. And whether it's the suffering they go through for, uh, in the process of creating the art or that gives them the inspiration for the art or just the, the suffering of learning how to play the guitar or learning how to use the paintbrush, there's a suffering that goes along with it. And then every artist that I hear also talks about <laughs> happy accidents. Whether it's Bob Ross and his happy little trees, or David Lynch and his nightmarish visions of murder and all sorts of things, both of them talk about happy accidents. And I got to thinking about this, and I, I read this piece, and, and I'm going to conclude on this because I think, I think this is powerful. It's powerful for me. I'll put it that way. And I hope that in some way it, it inspires you in a great way of thinking about God. He talks about uh, Susan Howitch, who's an, who's an author. She writes this novel, uh, and in it there's a uh, sculptor named Harriet March. And when a, novel, when a theologian comes to visit Harriet at her studio, he has all sorts of polished and complicated ideas about God and suffering in life. And Harriet explains to him how, how uh, she sees the world through her work. And she goes on to say, you know, you can't create without waste and mess and sheer undiluted slog. You can't create without pain. It's all a part of the process. It's in the nature of things. And then she concludes with this. And I, I hear God saying this. So in the end, every major disaster, every tiny error, every wrong turning, every fragment of discarded clay, all the blood, sweat, and tears, everything has meaning. I give it meaning. I reuse, reshape, recast all that goes wrong so that in the end, nothing is wasted and nothing is without significance and nothing ceases to be precious to me. And I believe God says that. So even though we do have to go through all this pain and this suffering in this world, I believe, I choose to believe that God's using that to create something much more beautiful than I can even fathom. Don't know if that answers the question for you, but it answers the question for me. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for uh, this group of people. I thank you for your strength that allows us to go through times of pain and suffering. I thank you for the joy that we get to take part in your plans of restoration that we get to be your agents in this world and, and we get to spread your love and we get to glorify you through all of it. Lord, I know that there are some people for whom none of this makes any sense. And there are some people for whom the pain and the suffering is just overwhelming and they can't see through it. And they can't see where anything good could come out of it. Lord, I want to pray two things for those people. First of all, I want to pray that, that you will make yourself evident to them. 
that you will comfort them in a way that can only be explained by the fact that you're God. Secondly, Lord, I want to pray that you will bring people around them who can be your agents of love and of grace and of mercy and can help walk them through those times of pain and suffering. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the Crosspoint Sermon Audio from Carrollton, Texas. For more information about our church, visit www.crosspoint.com.